Marty, this is Mel Allen. Some just don't know how to catch them. Others don't know where to catch them. But in Texas, the rangers are catching on fast. In Milwaukee, the brew crew catches the top contenders a wee bit flat-footed. In California, the Angels catch just about everything. And so do the Giants. And in Houston, the revved-up Astros say, catch us if you can. Catch up with all this and more. Major League Baseball headlines and highlights. Next on This Week in Baseball. universe what is up it's your boy jake the snake robinson from the let's talk baseball podcast network holler if you hear me half man half podcast machine back in the captain kirk chair shields down photons up prepare to engage on this week's mind-blowing scintillating edition of my little digital audio show that i call backwards k-pod where we collect ball players and their stories. I want to welcome everyone in. If you're a uh, backwards K-Pod virgin, and this is your first time hearing the show, come on in, make yourself comfortable. I've already covered about 160 years of baseball and just the four months of operations here from Moses Fleetwood Walker all the way up to Shohei Otani and everything pretty much in between. You can find all my shows in the vaunted archives at diamondsnakejake.podbean.com Dot com, Or, you can find me wherever you listen to your pods, as I'm on all major platforms, Samsung, Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Podbean. Whatever your platform of choice is, I'm there, baby. Get some. Uh, hit that follow or subscribe icon, and if you're on Apple or Spotify, please rate and review me as you see fit. I ain't skirt. I prepare to keep this... Uh, I prefer to keep this content free here. No Patreon, no crowdsourcing. So, together, you and I, let's roll up our sleeves and do this the old-fashioned way. I'll supply that dope Don money content, and you guys just listen, download, rate, and review, spread the word, and it's all love, baby. 
You can find me on Facebook at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private group page. Type in that you're a listener and we'll let you right in. I don't care about the numbers there so much as, uh, I mean, I have literally, you know, over 3,000 members, but I care more about true, well-thought-out baseball banter. And having that page is a beacon of life for seamheads looking to talk and inter- interact with baseball fans around the globe. It is without question the best baseball page on the book. So, by all means, check it out. That's the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network private group page. Stop on by and get some. And speaking of global, I was uh, looking at the show metrics uh, last week, and I say it all the time. Uh, I'm loving the expansion of the show's audience, especially uh, now that I looked at it internationally. Last month, not only did Backwards K-Pod carve up North America, but it made significant strides in the global market. I now have listeners not only in the United States, but also Canada, the Honduras, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, the UK, India, Japan, Australia, (laughs) and even Russia, which I found kind of odd, but... The proof is in the pudding. Two months in a row, someone in Russia has been listening to the show. I mean, maybe I'm helping that person think about something else instead of what's actually going on in their corner of the world. But I welcome all of you internationally. I thank you for your support. Together, we can spread the gospel of baseball to the four corners of the world, which is pretty much what I've been programmed to do. It really is my lot in life. Uh, so... You know, there's that. Okay, I think that's enough of that. I'm ready to get after it here at Backwards K-Pop. We not only collect ballplayers and their stories, we also collect stadiums, mascots, milestones, historical moments. I also collect TV shows and movies. Now, I haven't really dug into any pop culture in a minute. The last thing I think I covered was the baseball bunch. And if I'm not mistaken... That was the second show of Backwards K-Pod, and you can always dip into the archives, check that out if you never heard it. So, I think today, I'm going to take a look at the wildly popular television show, This Week in Baseball, with Mel Allen. And before there was the MLB Network, ESPN Baseball Tonight, before local news stations were able to run highlights from teams around the league, there was the creatively innovative This Week in Baseball. It was really the perfect blend of highlights, bloopers, uh, accompanied with a classically uplifting musical playlist at the time. The show was syndicated to local markets and often ran as, you know, pregame shows for a lot of the Saturday local or national games that would be playing in your market. It ran from 1977 to 2011, with the exception of 1999. And the show really accomplished two things right off the rip. Number one, it brought video of all teams throughout the majors into the local market. So now, the Giant fan growing up in SoCal can now see uh, his Giants highlights Every week. It may sound like such a simple thing to people nowadays, especially this younger generation who have only grown up in this real-time internet age where the world and all of our info literally sits in the palm of your hand. But this was, of course, unheard of in 1977. The second thing the show accomplished was the revival of Mel Allen's Hall of Fame broadcasting career. It opened the door to new generations of baseball fans who had only heard of 
or known Mr. Allen as more than just the voice of the New York Yankees. Uh, Mel Allen delivered play-by-play for the Bronx Bombers for 25 years, and that was at the height of the team's success. He had one of the most recognizable voices in the game for six decades, and his style and approach to calling the game serves literally as a template to this day. Allen was uh, an important pioneer in the early days of television and sports broadcasting as he provided the play-by-play for numerous college football games as well as his work for the Yankees. Now, Allen was born Melvin Israel in Birmingham, Alabama on February 14th, 1913 uh, to Jewish immigrants Julius and Anna Israel who fled persecution under Tsarist Russia a couple years earlier. He had a sister, Isabel, and a brother, Larry. And his brother would wind up changing his last name to Alan, and he would assist Alan or Mel for many years as a statistician on his broadcast. The father ran a variety of entrepreneurial businesses, including shoes and dried goods stores, The family would relocate to Tuscaloosa when Allen, at the age of 15, would enroll and be accepted at the University of Alabama. His journalism career began there as a writer for the Crimson White, and that was the school newspaper. While there, he caught the attention of Alabama football coach Frank Thomas for his work as the public address announcer at Crimson Tide Home Games. A local radio station asked Coach Thomas... If he knew of anyone who could, he could recommend to them to be a radio play-by-play announcer. Now, the coach, misunderstanding the question, actually recommended Allen for the job, and Mel would take advantage of this opportunity. Mel began broadcasting Alabama and Auburn football games over a network of radio stations in 1935. And he was doing this while he was studying for his law degree at Bama. He had every intention of seeing his hard work pay off with a degree in law. But he would say years later, my avocation became my vocation. In 1937, Mel would leave the University of Alabama to work for CBS in New York. He would drop his last name with the TV executives, requested he change his last name to something less Jewish. He would broadcast news, entertainment, game shows, all while handling a variety of sports assignments, including the 1938 World Series, Washington Nationals baseball, and New York Giants baseball before taking the gig with the Yankees in 1939, which would ultimately make him a household name. Now, Allen developed a style of creating world word pictures through his verbal ability that allowed the audience to picture the action in their own head. And it became a model for subsequent generations to come. He developed the catchphrase style, which still lives on today. He would incorporate sponsors into his lexicon, such as uh, the White Owl Wallop or a Ballantine Blast to describe Dong. Uh, other Allen catchphrases would set the standard, such as going, going, gone. That was Mel's. I mean, how many guys do you hear say that now? I mean, it's pretty much part of the baseball lexicon. 
And not only was he going, going, gone, but his other catchphrase and his most notable catchphrase was certainly, how about that? His broadcasting career was put on hold by a, ser- uh, by a service of the U.S. Army from 1943 to 1946. He would host Army Hour on Armed Forces Radio during this period. He was appointed by President Al Eisenhower in 1956 to head a national task force on youth physical fitness. And he would visit troops in Vietnam and Cuba during the 60s as service to his country. And that would become a prevailing theme in Mel's life. Al would describe his own style as Yankee partisan, but not prejudice. He was able to appreciate outstanding plays and players of opposing teams. And all he called 22 World Series, including 18 in a row, between 1946 and 1963. In addition to chronicling the dynastic Yankees of his day, he would also uh, become one of the nation's top college football announcers during the 50s and early 60s. He broadcasted over uh, 14 Army and Navy football games. Alan was a bridge between the golden age of radio sportscasting and the modern age of broadcasting, which was being dominated by television coverage. Alan, however, had trouble transitioning to TV. His critics would complain that he talked too much in telecast and that he would kind of get in the way of the broadcasters. So, as the broadcast sponsors began to suffer from declining sales in the mid-1960s, pressure grew on Yankees' ownership to replace Mel. They removed him from the World Series broadcast team in 1964, and in a decision that was never really fully explained, they didn't renew his deal the following season. Over the next decade, Allen would occasionally step in and broadcast games for Cleveland and the Brewers of Milwaukee, as well as University of Miami sporting events. And he kind of lived in this kind of sad baseball nomadic existence. Allen was on the verge of near obscurity as it's 14 years away from the center stage, uh, seemed like a lifetime ago. And baseball was now living in a modern age of telecommunications and media. But in the summer of 77, Allen's career and took an upward turn when he became the host of today's topic, This Week in Baseball. The show would introduce him to a whole new generation of baseball fans. Uh, he can remember walking down the streets and he's you know, 80 years old, and kids were coming up to him asking him about the Gillette moment. And he knew when kids, you know, he knew he was reaching across new generations of fans because of this show. And this newfound re-exposure had prompted Yankees owner George Steinbrenner to bring Mel back to Yankee Stadium for regular appearances on Yankee cable broadcasts from 1977 to 1985. Allen was honored by his induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1978. Ironically, he and his one-time partner, fellow Southerner, longtime rival, Red Barber, they would be the inaugural recipients of the Ford Frick Award. And they became, you know, it, it was really the first time the Hall would recognize the contributions of broadcasters to the game of baseball. Uh, Allen was plagued by health problems in later years. He underwent a heart bypass operation in 1989. 
But after hearing about the death of his former friend and Yankee slugger icon Mickey Mantle in 1995, this week in baseball asked him to open the show and do a tribute to Mickey. And it would be the Hall of Famer's last appearance on the show that he had popularized, popularized from its inception. On June 16, 1996, the great Mel Allen would die from a massive heart attack at his Connecticut home. Allen was enshrined in the Radio Hall of Fame in 1988 and the Alabama Communications Hall of Fame at the University of Alabama in 1998. Now, before I engross you about all the facts of the show, I feel like I need to address the closing theme song. And if you're my age or older and you watch the show, you probably know where I'm about to go here. Uh, That theme song was flat out dope. And it truly speaks to its imprint on pop culture. When an episodic... uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to mess with too many things here at one time. When an episodic network sitcom make it, makes its plot point right off the fucking rip, very few things in the world we can agree on nowadays. But I don't care who you are, what your race or gender is, your po- politics or religion. If you were a baseball fan who enjoyed this show, you love the theme song. And it's a universal fact from Twip fans all over the world. Over four decades after its debut and long, long, long after the series aired its final episode, the song officially titled Gathering Crowds, it endures like this era of nostalgia for old fucks like me. A piece of pop culture that instantly brings back memories and it's still magnificent all these years later. And honestly, there is like this Pavlonian visceral effect or response that I still have to this day when I hear it. It always symbolized to me, first of all, that that was a beautiful half hour of television I just experienced. For fans such as myself, it remains a constant memory that, well, really it ties my youth to my present day, mundane, adult life. And really, it's not bad for a piece that was composed for a stock music library, and despite its undisputed connections to the game, um, Gathering Crowds wasn't even written with baseball mind. It wasn't even written in America. John Scott, the composer who wrote the piece in England in 1974, he's never even seen a baseball game in his whole life. Scott was a veteran composer and a performer in his own right. He once played flute for the Beatles. He told Sporting News in an interview that the inspiration for the brass and string-heavy composition is in the title, Gathering Crowds. In his vision, John Scott saw people coming together in large crowds to the music. And he would score more than 150 film and television productions, including the North Dallas 40 and the Who Shot JR reveal on Dallas in 1980. And Gathering Crowds was just another assignment. Uh, assignment. Uh, basically, compose, record, submit. 
And once the jingle went to the uh, KPM, it was available for anyone who wanted to license it for any production whatsoever. And that's where Jeff Belafonte found it in 1977 as he prepared for Twib's inaugural season. If the name Jeff Belafonte sounds familiar to you, it's because he was also the producer for the Baseball Bunch. Again, that show is in the archives. If you haven't heard it, check it out. And the song, it just it just fucking works for some reason. The sound of gathering crowds paired with like this slow motion footage of baseball players making incredible plays. It resonated with baseball fans pretty much from show one. Enough so that producers never, not once, did they ever tinker with that inning. Unlike with the opening theme, Jet Set, which was also a library catalog song, and that was composed by Mike Vickers. I didn't feel like we could or even wanted to restore data and crowds were called Belafonte. And folks, honestly, <laughs> my goosebumps get goosebumps when I hear that song. I, I still see a montage of all those great players in my head moving in slow motion to the music. And it puts me in that 80s mindset when I would watch the show and the ending right after the baseball bunch, which was the show lead-in in 1980. And I watch these two shows and, I, and I'm, I'm ready to play some baseball. Let's get these neighborhood kids up and let's do it. And honestly, when I die, I want my scattered remains uh, to be in Camden Yards. And I want this song playing at my funeral with a nice little montage closing credit. I'd love to make sure that that gets done at my funeral. The composer, John Scott, he admits that he had no idea that the song would go and touch so many people in a visceral fashion. Years went went by before he even realized it was being used. And Scott's name, it never appears in the credits, though he is credited on KPM compilation albums. He never made any huge royalties or fame from the piece, but he has carved out a very successful career for himself in the music business. Apart from his work with the Beatles... And his film and TV compositions, his self-described proudest moment was his sax solos on the James Bond Goldfinger soundtrack. Strangely, before uh, This Week in Baseball secured gathering crowds, the song was used by ABC Nightly News as an opener in 1976, uh, before switching to another musical open. And the truth is, folks... I have a real eclectic ear. My my preferences range from, I don't know, Bach to Miles Davis to Led Zeppelin to Curtis Mayfield to Public Enemy to Foo Fighters to Skrillex and all things in between. And I find that coming up with opens for a show is kind of a big deal. It sets the tone. Some of my older shows, I would come in gun blazons, uh, hot to some Tupac. But this show... I wanted to go in a different route. People are real particular about music. It's one of the most personal attributes that we all carry within ourselves, I think. So, I decided to step into the library catalogs this time myself with Backwards K-Pod. And honestly, I was looking for that This Week in Baseball kind of vibe. And that's how I kind of came up with my open, which is actually called The Rise of the King. And... 
That is how this week in baseball has influenced my show and probably other baseball shows out there. Uh, you know, just in the podcast universe, I'm thinking. Baseball is why that tune was popular and nostalgia is wide indoors. So, now, the show has its producer, Jeff Belafonte, a kick-ass theme song with a creative montage concept, as well as a rebranded Mel Allen to walk us through the events of the week. It made bloopers fun. It showcased defensive excellence like never before. And it gave the fans an up-close and personal look at players on those other teams. This week in baseball should probably receive credit for making the game bigger on a national level like never before. And baseball executives, they had spoken about doing this type of show for years before TWIB came to be. In reality, NFL NFL films had created this concept, but they only had a few games that were played weekly, and they had a whole week to gather their material from those few games. Baseball, on the other hand, it has over 70 given seventy games on any given week. Uh, videotape was in its infancy, and the process of getting a show like this made was going to be a challenge, to say the least. Remember, this is not the digital age. It's barely the age of tape. So, Joe Podesta, who is fairly new to Major League Baseball Promotions Corporations, as the executive director, he revealed that uh, he used to drive a 16-year-old neighbor into New York, and the kid ran audiovisual equipment in his high school. Now, apparently the kid, Bruce Schechter, figured out how to get all the tape together and make it work without spending the two hundred fifty grand per team on two-inch recording equipment. At $250,000 per team, the project would never be greenlit. So what Belafonte and his partners, Larry Parker, Jody Shapiro, what they did was invest in Sony three-quarter inch tape machines. Now, look, this is even before beta tape. So they invest in these uh, Sony three-quarter joints. They hire a kid in all 26 cities to record games every night. Now, these tapes held an hour of content. So every hour, the kid would have to put a new tape in. And after the kid had his three tapes, that's right, three tapes, because, you know, this is the 70s and 80s, baseball was awesome, games only took two and a half hours at the most, everybody drinking for the road, see tomorrow tomorrow game time, right? But I digress. So the kid takes his three tapes, send it out to New York through Emory Air Freight, And by the end of the week, the show producers would have their 70 games in a week and sets of three, 210 tapes at a minimum. And from those tapes, producers and young screeners would start to disseminate the bloopers, highlights, or pertinent information that was going to be needed for the upcoming show. What a fascinating process that we all just take for granted when we sit our fat asses down and watch TV. Writer Mark Duran can recall the all-nighter sessions on Tuesdays, getting the script together, and then on Wednesday, he would record with Mel Allen so the big two-inch tape could be flown around the country to air over the weekend. The show premiered in 1977, and as luck would have it, they had a classic blooper in the very first show when Orioles outfielder Pat Kelly 
had a baseball bounce off his early closing glove and over the wall for a home run. How about that? As Mel was off to say. <laughs> Originally, the show typically ran on stations that had tele- television rights to major league teams, uh, such as WTBS in Atlanta, KTTV in LA, WGN in Chicago, WOR in New York. Soon after that, though, TWIB would be syndicated and owned and operated by NBC stations, who would then air it in major league markets as a prelude to whatever your NBC Game of the Week was going to be. As I told you earlier, Allen would die in 1996, and his torch would be passed to Warner Purcell, who had previously contributed contributed to uh, TWIB Notes and TWIB Ticker. Uh, two prominent segments of the show, as well as filling in for the iconic Allen in the later years when he started becoming sick. In 1997... The Wizard, Ozzie Smith, he became the final host of the original series, with Fussell serving as the show announcer and main contributor. By this point in history, with technological and film advancements, upgrades happening all over the world, as well as, you know, 24-hour sports programming, this week in baseball pretty much had run its course in its original format. And 1998 would prove to be the last season for that original series. Now, in 2000, Fox Sports did a millennium reboot of This Week in Baseball. And this was like a counter-programming move to offset NBA's inside stuff on NBC. The new show kept the name and was still targeting the youth, as was... Like, it was much more feature-driven than the original Inception. The show did, however, return, retain some of the older features, such as uh, Plays of the Week, and it did keep the same open and closing theme songs. The beginning of the show, it had a claymation, Mel Allen, kicking off the show, as well as uh, that same character closing the show out. So it's still keeping the nostalgia for my generation, who, you know, by now, probably are trying to turn their own kids onto it. And the show was hosted by Cam Brainard. By the 2011 baseball season, TWIB ratings had declined as a result of 24-hour sports programming. Uh, the highlights no longer had that special quality like when I was a kid. Now you can pretty much see any highlight in real time here in the digital age. I still think a TWIB concept could work. You would just have to think how you would, uh, you know, rebrand it and repackage it. I I would love to see, like, John Miller or even, like, Kevin Millar. I think those guys, you bring a little comedy, you bring a little entertainment to the table. I don't think that this should be a dead project altogether. I think baseball has a serious problem, you know, pushing their brand onto the younger kids. And I, I think that a show like this, it still has value. Reruns of the uh, 1978 to 1998 Mel Allen version of the show uh, were aired on ESPN Classic during the 2000s. And more recently, when the baseball season in 2020 was lost to COVID-19, Fox Sports 1 started airing those original versions of the show. For baseball fans of a certain age, this week in baseball was 1980s must-see TV. 
Mel's voiceover, uh, a week's worth of highlights and players. We just rarely had a chance to see anything like that in the pre-internet age. You know, and, and apply that to present-day circumstances. I, I wonder what Mel's show would look like now. He got sticky baseballs and sticky fingers, and I ain't talking about Peter North. He got ghost runners, the Astros playing drums like Tommy Lee in the dugout. Pitchers have become cowards who throw 80 pitches a game, and then they no longer swing a bat. Four outfielders, and that freak Buck Showalter wants to fight everyone in a Nationals uniform. I can only assume that he would ask, how about that? And that, my seam head audience, is the story of this week in baseball with Mel Allen. You can still see a lot of these original twibs on YouTube, as there is quite the catalog of shows there. Also, if you have Pluto on your Roku, you can watch um, all of the shows there. I, I, I know some of you have emailed me uh, requesting book recommendations to some of these shows. So if I were to recommend a book here... Uh, it would be The Voice, Mel Allen's Untold Story by Kurt Smith. I actually found it on thriftbooks.com for four ninety seven plus shipping and handling. And it was a pretty good read, pretty good read. I found it very, very interesting. I want to thank all of you for dropping by this week at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ballplayers and their stories. Please remember to pass the word, uh, subscribe, follow, rate, review. You can catch us on Twitter at Backwards underscore K underscore podcast. Also, all my shows are now being transferred to the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network YouTube page. At some point, I would like to do more projects uh, during the week live on YouTube and give out, you know, like some bonus content video. But I need that to grow. I mean, once those numbers of subscriptions for that. YouTube page go up. I got no problem dropping more content live. I, you know, I don't have all the answers. I don't really know how to grow a Twitter page or a YouTube account. I know I have a great content on my YouTube account. I got the last living interview with J.R. Richard. Me and Spaceman Bill Lee, we go one-on-one for almost like an hour and a half. Kenny Singleton. And so much more. So check that out. The Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network YouTube page. And uh, give us a, a subscription, please. Again, Thank you for stopping by. Next week, we'll have another form of pop culture to add to our vault of archives as I will be examining and reviewing the 1993 hit baseball movie, The Sandlot. One of the greatest baseball movies ever made. But look, that's another story for another pod. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch looking bored, by all means, take him or her outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless, and win the day.